Dieter de Groot is the women's wheelchair singles champion for a fifth consecutive year at the US Open. And that's why she is the world number one. That's why she has five US Opens. She has the Grand Slam this year. Um, and that's why she's undeniably our world number one right now. Paralympic history for Dieter de Groot. The first time ever. There's your champion. Welcome to season three of Flame Bears, keeping the fire burning. I'm your host, Jamie. Today, we talk with Dutch tennis champion, Didi de Groot. She's the current world number one in both singles and doubles and 31-time major champion. Not only is she a double gold medalist from the Tokyo Paralympics, but she's also a golden Grand Slam winner, meaning she's won all four major championships in a calendar year. Let's get to it. My name is Dita de Groot. I am a wheelchair tennis player. I was seven when I started playing tennis. I needed to pick up a sport because I had to sort of rehabilitate after some surgeries that I had on my hip. And I remember they asked me like, what do you like as a sport? They suggested tennis and I knew my grandmother was playing and some of my cousins were playing. So I thought, you know what, maybe I can play with my grandmother. I remember the first lesson that I had, I had to sort of get used to going into the wheelchair because I was used on to uh, walking with my prosthetic leg. Once I got in, once I saw the other kids playing, I was in love with it straight away. And the sport is in love with her too. Didi, I know you didn't grow up using a wheelchair, but you use it in tennis. So can you tell us about your disability? Yeah, I was born with a length difference in my legs. So my right leg is actually a little bit shorter or a lot bit <laughs> shorter than, than my left leg. I'm not sure about the bones, but I don't have like tibia, I think. And my knee is not very well constructed and so is my hip. So I don't really have like a hip. So that's why I needed some surgeries when I was younger to make sure that also in later life I would be able to keep walking. And yeah, in everyday life, I try to use my prosthetic leg as much as I can. So going to do groceries and getting out of the car to the tennis court in the gym, I try to use it as much as I can. But then for the longer distances or like, for example, play sports, I do need the wheelchair because it's just too too much for the leg. Dita, something I'm very aware of is my choice of words when elevating your story. How do you think of disability? Do you use that word or other words and why? Yeah, I'm not really picky about words. I think we have to call it thing. I also think disability, it doesn't really, it doesn't really have anything harmful in it. It really just explains what it is. So my opinion is a little bit like we can, we can try and make up new words, but there's always going to be someone who's offended by it. Obviously, you're a huge advocate for people with disabilities. Why is this so important? For me, it's important because when I grew up, I had Esther Vergeer, who she was a Dutch wheelchair tennis player who was unbeaten for like 10 years. She was the best of everyone. And I had that role model. I saw her grow up as a wheelchair tennis player. She was the first one that was actually like taking on professionally. In Holland, she was in TV shows. So yeah, she was really like an athlete, just not a, a Paralympic athlete. She was an athlete and she was treated like that. 
So I think for me, I realized how much she's affected some of my thinking when I was younger, because I grew up thinking it's possible, like I can be treated like an actual athlete. Given that Dee Dee looked up to Esther so much, we had to track her down. My name is Esther Vergeer. I'm a former wheelchair tennis player. I've been retired for almost 10 years now, uh, but still involved in sports. I won seven Paralympic gold medals and I've been number one in the world for over 10 years. Here's Esther on how they met. I'm sure she was just under 10 or something. She was just joining one of the clinics and she was a very shy kid that was just not coming up front and she didn't want to come up to the net and say hi and she was just very, very in the background. But you saw this little kid enjoying sports and enjoying hitting the ball and just enjoying herself being on a tennis court. And then I think it was just me being self-centered because I was just, you know, an athlete busy with my own career. I had no eye for her if she was talented or not. So I did, that was not the point for me to watch out for. So for me, this is, and I have just one picture of her by accident taken of her during the clinic. And this is just uh, how I remember her as well. It's just a shy little girl enjoying her hour of tennis. Didi has come a long way from her days at the clinic and made it all the way to the Paralympics in Tokyo, winning two golds and was named Female Paralympic Athlete of the Year. Since this season is all about what happens after the games, we wanted to find out what it was like coming home for her. We had to fly from Tokyo straight to New York to go for the US Open. It was actually a very difficult time because we saw some of our teammates and a lot of the Dutch team, like the athletics and the swimming team, all of them went home and we saw them getting to their families and celebrating at home. And we we had to be in New York, which I mean, it's great every time of the year, just not straight after the games. You really just want to be with family and you want to celebrate and you want to be home. But I remembered when when all of that was finished, I had six days at home and then there was a world championships for the teams. So after six days of being at home, I had to go away again. And then after all of that, I was even more tired. Also for the for the able-bodied players, there's no season. It's just one season. It's the whole year. There's no off season. So after the November games, I think I said to my coach, like, I need one week. And after that one week, I was like, okay, I need another week. <laughs> and then after those two weeks, I remember she messaged me. I remember she messaged me and she was like, you need another one, don't you? <laughs> and I was like, yes, please. So I, I had three weeks proper off. Like I did a lot of things in my home, which I moved into the year before. So I was already living there for a year, but I hadn't done anything about it because I just didn't have time. So I really had some downtime and, and that was really needed. Wow, this is so interesting. So the idea of having a letdown after the Paralympics didn't really apply to you or tennis, has it? I remember reading this piece on, I don't exactly know who wrote it, but it was about the empty feeling after the games, like achieving the biggest thing you've ever done and then feeling empty because no. you've achieved it, but what now? So I remember reading that and sort of like I had tears in my eyes, just how I could relate to that piece. 
But then I already had to go back on court. So I didn't even have time to sort of, I don't know, like feel anything. So yeah, like I, I think it, it was very tough, but it was tough in a different way where I didn't even have time to fall in that gap, which maybe was needed. All of that hard work has definitely paid off. And some people who've been following Didi's journey for the last few years are Team Cities, Ian Crop and Adam Lasner. So I'm Ian Crop, and I work on Cities' global sponsorship team. And along with my colleague, Adam Lassner, we both work on all of Cities' Paralympic partnerships. So those span from 22 and counting National Paralympic Committees, the IPC through our relationship of being a founding partner of Parasport, and then a host of incredible para-athletes across the globe. So we're really fortunate to be able to kind of work with so many phenomenal ambassadors, Dida being one of them. Ian, Didi is Team City's first wheelchair tennis player. Why is she such an incredible role model? I think some of it comes from just kind of the way she carries herself, but from how she rose to become such an incredible player, but Hmm. just you kind of get a better sense of why she's a role model when you have more intimate conversations with her. And we've been able to do that through several events, but getting to hear how she grew up and how she kind of carries herself and not limiting herself based on the disability that she has, but really kind of seeing herself as she should be seen, right? Like as an incredible athlete who has kind of set all of these tennis records, right? Full Mm -hmm. stop. And so I think she also is just so determined and to kind of hear the work that she's put in, I think anybody can kind of relate to being so devoted to something and persevering and I think when you see so much success, sometimes you don't necessarily appreciate all the hard work that goes into it. You just kind of assume that it comes. But she gave us some insight recently when she lost her first set in, I think she said a year and a half at the US Open Finals this year. How do you kind of mentally come back from something like that? Because you you could easily just see the walls come tumbling down and kind of melt down. But I think she has such resilience and had the ability to pivot really quickly and take it in the right direction. So there's a lot, I think, that is admirable that anybody can learn from what she does. So City is a bank. How do you work with Didi and why does this work matter? I mean, the, the records speak for themselves. To win 31 majors is something that no one no one's done. She's now won two years in a row Grand Slams, or rather, when you win all four Grand Slams in a year plus the Golden Slam last year. It just she, she just can't stop winning. It's truly amazing. And you don't see that in any other sport at the moment, that sort of dominance. And it's also important, I think, from a sponsorship perspective, that people are taking note of athletes like her. Her reach is tremendous. Her records are tremendous. And some sponsors may not want to, to delve into that space because it's seen as different, when in reality, she's on the same court as everyone else. She's playing there, she's winning, and she's winning more than everyone else. We know there are sponsors out there that won't even consider her. And that's that's just frustrating, especially when she will be the, one of the best best sort of ambassadors for any brand, especially not even looking from the fact that it's wheelchair tennis. Her record alone speaks for itself. 
you will not find an athlete ambassador who's going to win as much as she has. We've featured her in some of our creative ads and had a really neat opportunity to put her in an ad that was in the New York Times and Wall Street Journal, a full page ad that came right before she won the Golden Slam, just kind of wishing her luck and supporting her and celebrating her athleticism. And so we've kind of used her across our channels. I've used her for internal events across the globe, used her to kind of help launch Parasport, our new platform with some great videos. Dide, you've had so many incredible wins and successes. What are you most proud of? So I do think like coming back to that personality where I really grew as a person. So a few years back, I like I had to do interviews and I wouldn't say a thing. And now I, I like to talk and I like to sort of explain how things work. So that definitely helped me to sort of yeah, grow as a person and and become a little bit more, uh, have a voice really. I think that's more today's how I am. And um, I'm still quiet, like I'm still myself, but also I grew and I know how to, yeah, how to do in public. And I think that Chen has really helped me with that. So I'm very proud as like how I grew. Can you tell us a bit more about this shift? I've gone from being very shy and in the background to a little bit like using my voice a little bit more. And I've noticed the last maybe two years that people are actually listening. And it's a very, it's a new experience for me because I can actually get an opinion or form an opinion about something and then try to see if it matches other people's opinions and, and see if, if I can do something with it. So if I think tournaments can be organized better, I can actually ask people and they'll go like, oh, you know what, the change you want to make, you're right in doing that. And so I've actually learned how to sort of try and make things better. And with sort of experiencing that my voice is now being heard a little bit more. And this growth hasn't gone unnoticed by others. Here's Esther on Didi's growth over the years. I noticed that she was still a little shy. She didn't really dare to speak out what her dreams were. We had these conversations and me with her trainer back at that time that she really needed to speak up and speak out what her dreams were. Because then if you do, then people will start helping you and then you will become better and then you will see yourself grow. And that's what she did at that time. And then since then, you see Dieter yourself. I mean, she's a power player. Game, set, and match to group. Two sets to love. 6-3, She has a lot of strength. She has a perfect or a good disability-wise. So she can use her whole body. That's why she is so dominant at this moment, that there's not a lot of girls out there that have the same physical abilities as she has. And she has a good team around her now that help her with the mental strength, the physical strength. She has a good manager around her that helps her with her finances and and marketing. Her manager has noticed this shift as well. I'm uh, the manager of Dieter de Groot, the wheelchair tennis player. When you are the number one of the world, you are automatically the leader of of the gang or of the group and the people are watching you. And I think since last two years or since the Olympics or just before the Olympics, Paralympics, she started to 
get more used to that role and uh, she's using her number one position in the world and she's open to meet people, to uh, present herself, talk about her sport, about everything what she experienced, what she experienced during uh, her, all her trips while she's traveling all over the world, of course, even when she was a young kid. And I think, yeah, she likes to be uh, yeah, an inspirator. She wants to share her uh, life battles, everything what she experienced when she grew up as a, a little kid. Here's Adam Lastner from City on a moment in his office when Didi was reflecting on how she's been growing into her voice. Billie Jean King had said to Dita, and Dita is now working through this, and, and I've re- I would imagine she references to you when you have a chance to chat with her, but Billie Jean King had said to her, a lot of athletes are, are so focused just on their athletic careers that they don't focus on the voice that they have when they're at their peak. And I think Billie Jean King is a, is a big person to be able to speak about this, having utilized her voice during her career and now so much more so after her career. But I think Dita and many of our athletes are now trying to work through and, and I feel we're able to work with them on giving them that sort of voice and, and reach to be able to make a greater impact than they already are having in their sports and beyond. According to Bart, it's not just Didi who's changing. All her tennis players, and even she felt a little more appreciated also by the normal tennis players, we call them the runners. For example, during the Grand Slams, they are in the same dressing room, but maybe three years ago, they were not looking at Dida or they were not saying hi. And she told me that this is also changing lately, the last one or two years. So it's not only Dida who's changing, but also other people are looking different at her because maybe they see much more. Collectively, all these changes are making a huge difference for para-athletes everywhere. And communities are rallying together to form nonprofits like the Runway of Dreams Foundation that Didi represents. Runway of Dreams Foundation is a nonprofit organization that works towards a future of inclusion, acceptance, and opportunity in the fashion industry for people with disabilities. Founded on the basis that clothing is a basic human need, the foundation develops, delivers, and supports programs and events that celebrate people's differences, break down stereotypes, highlight the need for mainstream adaptive apparel, and showcase people with disabilities in fashion. Didi, what does this organization mean to you, and how does it show up for your peers? So last year I tried to be the face of their campaign of making clothing adaptive because I think they realize that sometimes it can be a challenge to find the right clothing or to just maybe even make people aware of the fact that it's not always easy to find the proper clothing for people with a disability. Can you give us an overview of the current state of fashion for people with disabilities? Yeah, so I actually like how it's really taking off. I see more and more brands that are really especially just for people with a disability. So they design, for example, trousers or pants for people in wheelchairs. So it's like easier with zippers all the way down so that they don't have to lift their bums up. Or I'm really excited about, uh, I don't know if I can name them, but my sponsor Nike, uh, they have their shoes flyies. They're adaptive. So they're, for example, people that 
can't do the laces they have shoes where you can just put your foot in and just put it down and it fits and they wow. have i don't know like straps they have all sorts of, of shoes for everyone who i don't know who likes them but also everyone who needs them and i like how there's like a two side of the story you have the brands that are just designing clothes for people with a disability but you also have the bigger brands and the bigger names who are designing new lines just for people and i think it's important to have those two because you also need the the name and the the followers that the bigger brands have but you also need the people who actually put a lot of thought in it and who want to continue it and not just have one one of their lines be very good Wow, I imagine that this impacted you heavily when you were growing up. Do you remember any times in your life when you were struggling or frustrated by the lack of offerings? Well, I clearly remember wanting this pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. And my mom just said to me, like, I'm sorry, Didi, but you can't have them because they're just not right for your feet. Like, you need proper shoes, you you have a difficulty walking long bits so you can't walk on those flat shoes without any support and I was just like I want to have those shoes like I want to look nice I don't want to have walking shoes no one of six years old has walking shoes everyone has sneakers or whatever kind of shoes so yeah I remember that that could be a little bit of an issue but also the way that sometimes clothing would look on me and then especially like the trousers or jeans, a pair of jeans, sometimes they were so tight because kitty jeans were in fashion back then. They were so tight, they wouldn't fit over my leg. So they would be those kind of things. And I would still wear it, but it wouldn't look as nice as it did for my friends. And I think it's, it's yeah, it's those kind of struggles that you, you would have and you would find a way. Like I, I never cried for anything because I couldn't wear it but it would always be something that you have to keep in mind like oh some clothing pieces just don't look as good on me as they look on the on the website so yeah it's it's, sometimes it can be a struggle. Before speaking with you I honestly hadn't been aware. For those listening who want to help how can we support? What can we do? I think just realizing that not everything is the models wear it or just realizing that not every body type is the same will make you more aware of i don't know other people's or like it will maybe make you more aware of commenting on something as well and i think uh, especially nowadays we show so much of the things on social media but we also share a lot of our comments and a lot of our feedback And I think just being aware of something, like being aware that I can't always wear the skinniest jeans Mm -hmm. will make people aware of like, it's fine that she's not wearing skinny jeans because maybe she can't wear it or maybe she doesn't like to wear it. So yeah, I think that like the little bit of the realization is already a very big step. What are your hopes for the future? I hope to be able to enjoy tennis and be able to even play tennis for a very long time. Uh, I don't really have like a specific age or end goal. I'm definitely working towards the Paris Games. So that's going to be in two years. So it's uh, like I do have a little bit of a a time goal in terms of getting to the next games. But I don't really look ahead that much because I really just like to 
feel happy still, if that means that I get to play two more years, or if that means I get to play 10 more years, that's going to be it. Yeah, I don't really have any goals in specific. I, I've already had such a good career and I just like to add to it. Esther, Didi looks up to you. Do you have anything you want to say to inspire her? I would like to tell her that she really needs to look for the motivation inside. So yeah, maybe matches are maybe not as challenging as she would like. I think this is one of the reasons why we all would like to see wheelchair tennis grow, to get more competition, to get more women in the game. And she's a role model for that. So she's, yeah, that, that's, that's her job to do. But then for tennis, I mean, stay inside and stay, keep or close to your heart to keep motivated. And then I guess, and she does realize what, like what reach she has worldwide. I mean, the power that she has and the, the reach that she has with her communication channels is amazing. So. Yeah, as long as she's aware of that and she is willing to put that in advantage for the love of the game and love of the sports, that would be great. For me, from person to person, I just I just really enjoy being with her and also just a little bit dream about the future of Paralympic sports because she has really good ideas. Didi, what one action do you want listeners to take after hearing your episode? I think it's just important to try and always make things better. So it doesn't matter if it's wheelchair tennis or if it's anything really that I can I can sort of be an advocate for. I need to show my voice because that's what we need to make things better. But also I think sometimes you need to sort of tickle yourself a little bit. All of it needs to be healthy, but then this one thing can be a little bit unhealthy. And in Holland, we eat a lot of bread or like bread slices. We put some butter on it. And then we just sprinkle it with whatever we have. So we have like chocolate sprinkles. We also have Nutella. We have, I don't know, peanut butter. Just make one of those once a day. Tickle yourself a little bit and have a little bit of joy in every day and then it's gonna be fine. Thanks for tuning into Flame Bears, keeping the fire burning. For more behind the scenes coverage, Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn by searching for Flame Bears. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a positive review. We'd really appreciate it, and it makes a huge difference to us. If you missed our two incredible seasons of coverage, go back and give them a listen. Thank you to my amazing teammates, Marissa Potter and Lizzie Michael. You absolutely rock. Thank you to my mentors, Dino Catano and Emma Minto, for your ongoing support, and to the Harvard Kennedy School's Women in Public Policy Program for your help getting off the ground. We'll catch you on our next episode.